This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. We've been in a series, uh, Giving Up, and um, we're looking this morning at giving up status. Are you all with me? You need to pay attention, this is good stuff. It's all biblical, it's all wonderful, it's all about Jesus, that makes it good stuff. Now, um, I want to paint some pictures for you. Okay, so I want a broad brush for a start and paint an idea, some thinking around what God feels about status and what God said about status. And then I want to go narrower and more detailed about how it affects our lives and how we understand it. Is that okay? So one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith, of what we believe is this incredible thing called the Trinity. God, one God expressed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do you know what's amazing about God? There's no status between them. I just want to say that again so it sinks in. There is no status in God. It does not exist. And God created his creatures, us, to reflect the same thing. We were never meant to be raised above or below each other. We were meant to interact beautifully as he does. Isn't that amazing? I think that's wonderful. So when God made us, he reflected this in some beautiful ways. And from the very beginning... When Jeff and I talked about the thinking around this, I suddenly realized how big this issue is. That in fact, it was the idea of status that was very destructive from the very beginning of creation. There's there's a beautiful verse in, in Genesis where it says this, it says, God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Now, I'll tell you, walking and sitting with people communicates something. We are friends. You've nothing to gain with me. You've nothing to achieve. You've no need to grow. You've nothing to attain. We're friends. You don't need to run after status. You don't have to prove yourself to me. We're friends. God communicated something to Adam from the very beginning. You are loved. Be secure, Adam. Be secure in my love. Don't run after things. You don't need it. You don't need status. You're my friend. We walk together. We sit together. We talk together. There's a beauty there. Now, isn't it amazing that in the very beginning, what did the devil do? What did he say to Eve? If you eat from the tree, you can be like God. What does that say? You can be like him. You can raise your status. You will know what he knows. God wanted them from the very beginning to understand they didn't need that. They were loved. And even further back from that, you see, the devil understood that this went deeper because it was in him. It tells us in Ezekiel, he wanted to be like God. 
And what we know from the whole of the Bible and the whole picture painted for us is that God created him wonderful, beautiful. He had no need to be like God. He was loved. But from the very beginning, he had it in him. I need to be like, and that's the worst destructive idea that can pervade the whole of creation. That we need to be like someone else. God did not put that in our DNA. He did not put it in creation. So and what I'm trying to do is give you this broad brush idea of this, this status thing is destructive, understood in that way. Does that make sense? Powerful, isn't it? Really powerful. Now you see, from the very beginning, in the garden, this became kind of endemic in human nature. The trouble is when you disconnect from God and you disconnect from his love by your own choices, you have to find another way to exist, to be, to be ruled, to serve, to run creation. And the truth is that every way human beings found has been destructive other than the way God modeled from the beginning. Does that make sense? See, to kind of put that into context, um, moving further on in the Bible, there was a time when the Israelites, disconnected from God in so many ways, said to, said to the prophet Samuel, who was speaking on God's behalf at that time, we want to, listen to these words, be like the other nations. We want to have a king. We want to raise someone's status so that he'll raise ours. And God thought this was tragic. And Samuel communicated this to them and he said, you know this is a bad idea. You go down this line and that person will be destructive. You raise someone up, you raise their status, you put them on a pedestal and all the things that are destructive and bad will happen because human nature can't contain that. Only God alone can contain that. You put human beings on a pedestal and destruction will follow. Because of our nature. The only one who can have that place is God. And that's why God said from the beginning, don't do this, you've got me. He even said that through Samuel, don't go down this path. You've got me. I alone am your God, don't go down that path. Don't try and be like the other nations. So that's how important status is. Does that put it in some context for us? Yeah? Okay, so how does this pan out? Well, you, you know, a kind of reading of the Bible and a reading of history tells you that it was a pretty destructive thing, you know, and it just went from bad to worse as these kings continued to cause destruction by bad ideas. David came along and he, he understood. He began to grasp, God, you're in charge. God, you're the one who deserves status, not me. You're the one who we're going to look to. We're going to turn this thing around and get it connected back to you. We're going to put status in context. We're going to strip titles. We're going to strip ideas. We're going to strip pride. We're going to strip raising people up on pedestals. And we're going to get back to God. Back to you. We're going to model something that you modeled from the beginning. And that's the beauty of the Psalms. It's the beauty of all that story that David began to bring about. Now... That gives us a, a bigger picture. And actually, just, just out of interest, if you read the prophets, this is what they say. You know, if you, if you get into these books that are kind of a bit hard work sometimes, the, the nub of them, the, the core of them is God's in charge. Let's back down. 
get, get these ideas out of our head about status and pride. Put God on the pedestal and we're going to get somewhere. Bible's, Bible's full of this. You, 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 really, I encourage you to, to get into this. It's massive. It's brilliant. Brilliant. So anyway, but to, to kind of connect that with Jesus, I'm going to pull a scripture in, and then I'm going to tell a couple of stories about how this pans out in, in, in life, how it looks. Is that okay? Good with that? Okay. So um, Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. Jesus came... Sorry, I'm not reading that. I'm telling you this. Jesus came to undo all this. Everything that had happened, what I've just told you in the beginning, Jesus came to undo it all, to reconnect it to God, to give God the status. That's what Jesus came for, and this scripture tells us that. So Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's great, isn't it? Jesus came to undo all this. I'm just going to read you this. It's not on the screen, but this is the message take on that, the first verse of that. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Isn't that good? How powerful is that? So Jesus came to say, let's undo it. Let's get back to the beginning and let's rebuild in the right, and he modelled it. It says he did not. He did not grasp after this. He didn't run after it. He didn't need it because he understood what it meant to walk with God in the cool of the day. He understood what it meant to be part of God, the Trinity. This beautiful, equal relationship that just flawed as God meant it to be. Jesus did not grab and grasp after anything, though he had the right. Though he was the creator. He had the right. He did not because he understood. And he cries out to us to understand too. So how did Jesus model this? Cool. Let's get into some stories. Dropping the act. This is always a good place to start. I love these stories because they speak to me about life. And and they don't change. (laughs) What what happened then happens today in our lives because people are people. That's how it works. Okay, so this is a story uh, in Luke 7, 36 and 37. I'll just read a bit of the verse, then I'll unpack it for you. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, this Pharisee was called Simon, by the way. That's important in a minute. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So this is a beautiful story. Now here's the scene, right? There's some very well-dressed in posh clinical, clinical, clerical, that's the word, not clinical, they weren't doctors. (laughs) There's some very posh clerical leaders, the Pharisees, all dressed up 
lined up, looking the part in this house. And Simon, why has he invited Jesus to his house? Now, Simon's a teacher. He's a Pharisee. He's got status, okay, in the community. And he's flaunting his status to some degree by doing this. Because he's, he's, Jesus is a great teacher. I'm going to have him in my gang. We're going to get him connected to me. I need this going on. Jesus is not interested in that, just so you know. But he goes to this house, and Simon sat there. Now, something really interesting about the Bible is that it's a bit like, I have to admit my, my description of this is not perfect, it's a bit like a car crash. In the sense that, when a car crashes, that's the worst description ever, don't quote me on that. But when somebody has a car crash, there are witnesses, aren't there? And usually the police come and they ask about four or five people, what did you see? What happened? Now the Bible's like this in the Gospels. You get Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And they all saw stuff, but they all saw it from their angle. Does that make sense? So what I'm going to do, and I need to tell you this in the beginning, is I'm going to pull this story from various versions to make a bigger picture. Is that all right? Just so you know that, so when you're looking at it and studying it together, you're kind of looking, where did he get that from? I'm pulling it all together. Okay, so, so this Pharisee is called Simon. And Simon has a secret. Because in one of the Gospels, it tells us that he was called Simon the leper. Now, in the society in which he lived, leprosy was viewed as, um, you know, you, you, were, you were ostracized, put outside, viewed as, viewed as unclean. You were disconnected. Now, in one of these Gospels, it describes him as Simon the leper. It's the same story, just a different, slightly different version. Now, Simon's there, and he's dressed really poshly. Jesus is reclining at the table. He was lying down. I've never got the idea of eating lying down. That just kind of don't work for me, but there you go. Um, but that's what they did. So he's reclining at this table. And this woman comes in and she, she kind of bursts in and, and, and the NIV is quite polite about this. It says, you know, I don't know what it says. It says something like, uh, who'd lived a sinful life. Essentially, the, the reality is she was a prostitute, maybe a harlot. It's described in some other versions, but she, she'd lived, she'd lived. And she burst in this room and she, she basically breaks this jar and begins to pour it over Jesus' feet. And Jesus says nothing. And then it says to Simon, and this is really fascinating because this is what people do to deflect from their own sense of insecurity, of shame, uh, of uh, really deep down their own lack of status inside, their disconnect. They deflect it onto somebody else. So he said this, he said, if, she, if Jesus knew what she was, who she is, he'd have said something. He wouldn't let that go on. What's Simon doing? Think it through. You push it onto somebody else, nobody's looking at you. you. You know, Simon was as insecure as they come. I know that by what he said. Because that's what people say and do who look like they've got status, are living by the status, but in reality are broken people like the rest of us. Trying to deflect it onto someone else. Put it onto, let's all get attention on her. Let's, let's connect this to her and then it don't come on me. I can keep my status then. It's a deep tragedy, isn't it? It's a deep tragedy when you live like that because, you know, there's nothing worse to disconnect you from God than that kind of thinking. Because you, 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 you can't be humble because you're continuously trying to prove yourself, be something. You can't just stop and be yourself. 
And this woman, she got it. She got it big time, as we say. She understood the power of grace. And she, 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 she got, she, everything in her head said, I don't care. I don't, I don't care about my status. I don't care about what people think about me. I don't care about any of that. I want to be forgiven. I want to be accepted. I want to be restored. And the only person that can do this for me is Jesus. And so she goes in and she, she starts this ritual. Do you know, I want to just give you a little aside to this that I find beautiful, and I want you to look it up if you can. I think it's in John's Gospel. It says, there's one verse in John's Gospel. It says, I think it's in John, says that, that Jesus was friends with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They were his friends. And there's a verse that says, this was Mary who poured the perfume over Jesus' feet. Now, that's interesting because I'm going to come back to that because that's about family, and that's an interesting take on it. But the, the thing about this story is what's going on here. What's happening is Simon's projecting it onto her. She's desperate. And it says of Jesus, now you've got to get this because I love what Jesus, everything Jesus does is meaningful. We understand that, don't we? And it says Jesus looked at her but spoke to him. Now, what was that about? Because Jesus is saying, I'm fully present with you. Because right now in this room, it's you I'm dealing with. You're the one who's doing the right thing here. You're the one who's getting reconnected with God. You're the one that's receiving grace. I want you to know that because I'm with you. But I'm going to tell him what he needs to change. Now, it's interesting because Jesus then goes on to tell a story. While this is all happening and Jesus is looking at her, he's telling Simon a story. And he says, Simon, he says, you know, if there were two people who owed a lot of money, one owed less than the other, and they were forgiven for both by the banker, which one would be more grateful? So Simon says, the one forgiven the most. Now, this is irony because he needs as much forgiveness as she does. Jesus is trying to get the guy to think, Simon, get away from this. Disconnect your ideas of status. You love Simon. You know, and I'm looking at her, but I want to look at you. I want, I want this to be an understanding that you need forgiveness as much as she does. And he says to her, your sins are forgiven. And Simon, thinking that his status and his outfit... And his prominence in society is going to make him right with God. Must have realized at that moment, that's what I need. But how deeply tragic it is. And God, this is, what, this is what status does. Jesus just brought that right to the middle and said, you're equal now. There's no difference between you. She's forgiven. Don't you think that's beautiful? That's what grace is about. That's a reconnection with Genesis. That, that's somebody who gets it. This woman got it. Now, believe me, I'm, it was a massive journey for her from that moment to get back to feeling loved again. I am sure. That story I told you about Lazarus, and there's an interesting thing. Martha's doing the pots and stuff. She's, she's on with all that business. And Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. And, and Martha says this. 
Jesus, sort it. Come on, she's just sitting there doing notes. She's being lazy and Jesus says, Martha, chill your beans. It's my version. Martha, chill your beans. She, she is doing what's better here. Now, I want to tell you something that what that verse tells me about Mary must have been difficult in her family. If she was that person, if that's the true connection, you imagine what it's like in a family where you always feel like the black sheep, the one out of status, the one disconnected. And Jesus, again, in this situation, says, Martha, you you know, you're here with me, but Mary, she's getting this. Her status has been raised. She's forgiven. She's listening. She's taking this all in. There's an evenness. Come on. Let's get back to what matters. Let's reconnect. It's not one's better than the other because of what you did or didn't do, because of what you've been or haven't been. We're even. We're equal before God. Jesus is beautiful at making these connections and reconnections. And I just wanted you to think about Simon and this woman. And I want you to take that and run with it. It matters, that stuff. And it matters what Jesus communicated to her. It matters that he looked her in the eye and said, you're forgiven. Come on, you're forgiven. It's all right. You know, it's gone. You know, he's not got greater status than you. You're even before me. That's beautiful, isn't it? Wonderful. Okay, another story. Okay. So, dropping the act. Dropping the act was about Simon, by the way. Because his whole life was based on an act. How tragic that is. Don't you think? But it's hard to break that sometimes. When you build that for yourself, it's hard to break it. Dropping the story. Okay. Let's jump to John chapter 4. Now, this is Jesus. um, And he meets a woman at the well. This is what it says. Now he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? This is really powerful stuff. So Jesus, again, he meets this woman. And there's something Jesus knows, all right? There's a lot of things Jesus knows here. But what Jesus does is quite beautiful. Because he sits down. Just so you know, when somebody's standing over you and you're sitting, that communicates something. When you sit down with them, it communicates something else. Think just have a think about that. It's very important how you treat other people. It's very important how you communicate by your body language and the way you look at them and speak to them, their value. Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus does not need her to give him a drink. Jesus empowers her to do something for him. That's really important. Because here's what Jesus tells her later. Very interesting. Jesus says, he has a conversation with her. And then he says, go and bring your husband. And she says, because here's a story that she's had to build up all her life. To cover her sense of not having any status. And there's other things going on there that we'll explore in a minute. But she says, I have no husband. 
And Jesus says, that's true. You've got five, and the man you're now with is not your husband. What does that tell us about this woman? Well, for me, it tells me that she's a broken person. She is looking for love in anybody who will give her any remote sense of unbalanced, dysfunctional love from anywhere. Don't you think that's tragic? This is a broken woman who is is desperate and who knows what's going on in her life. But what we do know is in that society as well, she would have been, the, the male would have dominated the home. There'd have been control to a certain degree. There would have been, she would have been, her status would have been low. Is that, we understand that. And, and her treatment by men, in my mind, I worry about what happened there. You know, I think, what was that really like and why was she going from one to another? And there's a lot going on there, isn't there? A lot of desperateness. But here's what Jesus does. He sits down and he says, he empowers and he says, will you do something for me? Do you know what that does? It says, we're equal here. I need you. I'm not commanding you to do it. I'm not demanding you do it. I'm not forcing you to do it. I won't love you if you do it. I just want you to know that we're even here. Please, will you get me a drink? That's really powerful when you empower other people to connect with you. It's deeply powerful because it says something about your heart, your attitude. It says something about your sense of status as much as it does about them. Does that make sense? So Jesus, so Jesus levels this off before he has this conversation. And this woman gets it. Here's a man who's got status. He's got status because she, she says, you're a prophet. Because at the moment he says you've got five husbands. And she's thinking, ooh, knows everything. You're a prophet. She also knew that he was a Jew. Jews and Samaritans, they believed that each other had a different status before God because they had a different set of beliefs. Some believed they were right, some believed they were wrong. This woman and Jesus could not be further apart in the culture of the day. And Jesus brings them together by sitting down and having a glass of water. Well, I think that's beautiful. Levels the playing field. The story goes on. that She goes back and she says, Here's a man who told me everything I ever knew. How desperate was that woman to not carry that anymore? As I said those words, I felt her relief. I really physically felt it. You know, when you carry that stuff, that shame, that guilt, that lack of status, that brokenness, that disconnection from when you carry that and somebody says, it's all right, I know, and I love you anyway. That just, you, you want to know what healing is? That's what healing is. That heals a person's life. That brings them. To, I, I know it all. And it's okay. We're going to put it right. We're going to heal that. We're going to make it right. Jesus, though he had the status he had, broke all that. Because G, the thing about Jesus is when you, when, you, when you don't think about status, you see other people. Can I just make that connection for you? When you're not so worried about yourself, you're not so involved in your own thinking... You see the needs of other people and you meet them. So Jesus brought some healing to this woman. 
I want to bring this to a kind of um, conclusion because I know I've sown a lot of, so- I hope I have, thinking for you. Is that helpful? Now this one, this last one, is incredibly powerful. And I'm, I'm not going to read you the scripture, if that's all right, Nanda. I'm just going to tell you the story. So the last one is called Dropping the Attitude. When status pervades a culture, when people have the idea that they're better than other people, that is unbelievably destructive. It's incredibly destructive. Now Jesus entered the temple and he saw people on the table selling stuff. They were... um, you know, um, they were selling doves and, and stuff like that for sacrifice. And it says that Jesus came up and he literally started kicking the tables over, smashing things up, pushing things out of the way. Jesus got angry. But it seems a bit of an unbalanced anger. He says, what, what, you know, he could have had a conversation. He could have told him to shift the stuff, but Jesus got angry. Do you know why I think Jesus got so angry about that setup in the temple? because it was done in the court of the Gentiles. That was the only place in the whole temple, the only place they could go to be accepted and worship God. And the people, the Jews, thought they had better status with God, so they thought it was okay to take their room up, block their place of worship, and stick their own tables there. That makes Jesus very angry. Jesus gets very angry when people do that kind of thing. Because that blocks other people from him. And I think that's why Jesus got so angry. I haven't got time to explore that. just want you to think about it. Yeah? I'm going to read my end bit and then I'm going to hand over to Jeff because it's important. Giving up status means these things. It means, firstly, being like Jesus. Being like Jesus means accepting you're fully loved and quitting, trying to gain territory and ground and knowing that God just loves you as you are. And you, therefore, love others. Does that make sense? Reflect Him. Being ourselves. Just be yourself. You've no gain. There's no ground to gain. Walk with God in the cool of the day. Be honest. Drop the story. Whatever it is. And get well be healed be equal you need to understand that God has made you even and equal to everyone nobody has greater status than you and you have no no greater status than anyone else God loves you discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes thanks for listening